Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. We remind you about another way to support Mormon Land. Just go to patreon.com, where with a donation of as small as $3 a month, you can access transcripts to our podcasts, our complete newsletter, and all our exclusive religion coverage. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Mormonland. Now for today's episode. Every year, a new crop of young Latter-day Saints turns 12 by December and will graduate from primary, the FACE program for children. The boys will get a new title, deacon, and start passing the bread and water of the sacrament known as communion in other Christian faiths and mostly distributed by priests and pastors. While the girls will just start attending the young women's program and get no new identity. Why such a gender difference in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Tradition, says Sam Brunson, a Latter-day Saint tax attorney in Chicago, who often blogs about church issues at By Common Consent. Or in other words, quote, policy choices that church leaders made decades ago. Yes, that church has an all-male priesthood, but is passing the sacrament really a priesthood function? Brunson's here via video conferencing to talk about how such differences came to be in the church in the first place and why he thinks some of them should be revised. So welcome, Sam. Thank you. It's good to be here. Start off by giving us a background on passing the sacrament. How did it come to be done exclusively by teenage, essentially teenage boys? So there is an amazing article from almost three decades ago in the Journal of Mormon History entitled Men to Boys, LDS Aaronic Priesthood Offices, 1829 through 1996. And it gives a look at this very question. And it points out that originally priesthood offices were all held by adult men in the Mormon church. Um, Things happened. Essentially, the short version of it is that men wanted to be Melchizedek priesthood holders, the higher priesthood in Mormonism. And they didn't want to do the things of the Aaronic priesthood, the lesser or the lower priesthood. And so, like, you didn't have Aaronic priesthood quorums. And you would have adult men, Melchizedek priesthood holders, kind of de facto acting in those. And the church decided, or local leaders decided, that they wanted to actually have these quorums. And one of the ways that you could get the quorums full was to put young boys, teenage boys, tween boys in the roles. Um, And so by maybe the 1870s, 1880s, that started to be a common practice. At the same time, though, you had, perhaps it was understandable why the adult men didn't want to function in the Aaronic priesthood, because for the most part, the Aaronic priesthood doesn't have a lot of responsibilities, doesn't have a lot of things they do. Um, If you look in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, which lays out what priesthood leaders do, um, a teacher, kind of the middle rank, the middle office in the Aaronic priesthood, um, can make sure that there's not iniquity in the church, make sure there's not backbiting, evil speaking. They can teach, um, they can help out in other things. And what do deacons do? The thing that now 12 year old boys do, they, um, are essentially there to help teachers do the things that teachers do. 
Then the Doctrine and Covenants explicitly says, but neither teachers nor deacons have authority to baptize, administer the sacrament, or lay on hands. Um, what did that mean? That meant in practice in the 1870s, 1880s, um, some Aaronic priesthood holders, some deacons and teachers, adult men, complained that all that they were really doing was acting as janitors. They were cleaning the church buildings. And that seemed to be essentially the role of a deacon. Um, so adult men don't want it. They start putting boys in. At the same time, this second generation of Mormons, second and third generation of Mormons, were perhaps less involved in the church than what we currently think. The activity rate at Sunday meetings was far lower than my vision growing up of what pioneer era church would have been. Um, that you know, people would go occasionally, but they lived their life as Mormons. They didn't actually actively participate. So they didn't necessarily have the education. They didn't understand what they were doing. They were doing things that we would consider wrong today. Um, and so there became a program of educating the youth and the children, trying to keep them out of trouble, trying to keep them in the faith. And one of those things was by making these young men, by giving them Aaronic priesthood, they were inculcated. They were kind of taught what it meant, what it meant to be a member of the church. It was also meant as missionary preparation. So they had this experience when they left on their missions so that they, they weren't terrible missionaries. Um, and so it expands, but still the, the thing that they do is they clean the church and they do basically what we call ministering. Now, when I was growing up home teaching, um, and for when this is boys, but for women, it would have been visiting teaching. Um, so his article goes on to say that in the 1870s and 1880s, bishops in Utah started to decide, Hey, maybe we can have the deacons and the teachers do stuff with the sacrament. We'll let the deacons pass the sacrament. In fact, he tells a story in 1873 in the Kanab ward, um, the bishop decided to let deacons pass the sacrament. And one of the ward members objected, citing that Doctrine and Covenants section that I just read recently that says deacons can't administer the sacrament. And Bishop Levi Stewart responded that Brigham Young had said passing the sacrament was fine because passing the sacrament is not administering the sacrament. So it's perfectly right if deacons pass the sacrament. Now, I think for many of us, we either don't remember or never knew this history of the fact that passing the sacrament by deacons was a grassroots decision that some bishops came up with to give boys who had the Aaronic priesthood something to do besides just clean the buildings. He also points out the church started hiring janitors around 1900. So there goes the one thing that deacons are actually supposed to do. Um, so, so I think a lot of times we either don't know or we forget that passing the sacrament for deacons was something that happened organically. It's something that happened to fill a need to keep boys in the church, to keep them engaged with the church and to help them prepare. I mean, I know when I was 12, I was, I mean, I don't know the exact words, but I'm sure we made reference to DNC 20 without actually reading DNC 20. And I'm sure that I learned that passing the sacrament was a priesthood duty of deacons. Um, except that it turns out it not only isn't, but if we follow our scriptures, it can't be. So uh, why do you think it's a bad policy? Why do I think it's a bad policy? I think yeah. it's a bad policy because it's exclusionary. It, provides something. Passing the sacrament is a very visible 
somewhat high profile way to serve in the church. Um, like if you attend a Mormon sacrament meeting, you're going to see people lined up, getting the sacrament, handing the sacrament out. Where you are will determine what that looks like. Um, where I grew up, I think our young men's program, the boys ages 12 to 18, there were probably 30 of us. I grew up in Southern California. My sister-in-law's ward in Utah, I think that there were 50 or 60 or 70. My ward in Chicago, we have either, I believe we have five young men and four young women. So if you attend, and that's ages 11 through 18. So if you attend my ward, you're going to see usually maybe one boy blessing the sacrament, one boy passing the sacrament, and five adult men, missionaries or other adult men passing the sacrament. Um, so it's something though that girls could do because we do have the four young women. We clearly can see that it doesn't require um, priesthood, but the the girls aren't given the same types of visible responsibilities to administer the day-to-day, the Sunday-to-Sunday parts of church. And they notice that exclusion. They notice that they're not welcome, they're not valued. And there are a lot of bishops that I know who work really hard to include um, the young women. I am an active member of the church, and I want to shout out to my bishop, who this last Sunday held a meeting with all the parents of the young men and young women, trying to figure out how we could better serve them, how their leaders could better serve them, how they could better participate. So I think that there's desire. I think there's a recognition in the church that this is something that does hurt our girls. And we're trying to cludge together a way to help them in spite of that. And I honestly think the easiest way would just be allow them to pass the sacrament. And what kind of message do you think that that would send to young women, but also young men? So I think to young women, it would send a message your services are valued, not just in serving girls and women, but in serving the entire congregation. You know, there are ways that young women serve, um, but and there are ways that adult women serve. But by and large, that service is limited to providing service for women and for children. Um, the Relief Society president, she does do a lot. She does a lot with the welfare of the church. She does administrative stuff, but she doesn't oversee any men. Um, the primary president oversees boys and theoretically men who are primary teachers, but it's basically her purview is children. Um, the young women, you know, they do things with the young men, but mostly they serve in their young women's classes. They serve each other. Whereas the young men have the opportunity to do all that same stuff, but they also pass the sacrament to the whole congregation, men, women, children. Um, bishops, stake presidents, visiting authorities, visiting stake relief society presidents, whomever it is, they have a chance to broadly and visibly serve in a way that the young women don't. Letting young women pass the sacrament sends the message to them, A, you're valued in the same way that in, maybe not the same way, but a similar way that young men are. And two, your service is valuable, not just within the sphere of teenage girls, but within the sphere of the entire ward. I, also think it sends a critical message to our young men, which is girls are your equal. Girls can do the things that you do. In the real world, in the world outside of church, I don't know how much they get that message. My understanding is there's a fair amount of misogyny targeted at teenage boys right now. But 
you know, my daughter's friends respect what they do. My daughters in their athletic and um, educational endeavors are there equal with the boys. And this sends a message that not only are girls capable of doing the same things outside of church, but they're capable of doing the same things inside church. So some, some members, some Latter-day Saints think it would take a to quote divine revelation to change this pattern. Um, do you think that? And if not, what does revelation, how do you think about revelation? So I, I don't think that this would take revelation because I don't think it was, I mean, it, it's pretty clear that it wasn't instituted by revelation. It has become tradition. Um, I get the impression sometimes uh, people think of revelation as broader than I do. I will, what I will say is if it requires revelation, then I hope and pray that church leaders are actively and aggressively looking for that revelation because I, I don't see any reason why God wouldn't provide it other than not asking. But also it seems like the kind of thing that you could just do. I know it's written in the church handbook that deacons pass the sacrament, which is fine. But the church handbook is a policy handbook for administering the church. It gets revised on a regular basis. And um, now that it's purely online on an even more regular basis than back when you had a print edition. Um, and all you have to do is change. I, I don't have it in front of me, but whatever section talks about passing the sacrament, all you have to do is change the words there. Instead of saying deacon or priesthood, it just says anyone ages 11 or higher who is an active member of the church, or I mean, if, if you care about it being an active member of the church. So um, there's some other positions you've written about that it, it, it's an all volunteer staff, the church. Right. Um, what are positions that currently hold that there's really no clear priesthood reason for them? I mean, a couple that leap to my mind are Sunday school president, where um, the the handbook exp explicitly says the, temp the Sunday school president needs to, I believe, have a temple recommend and hold the Melchizedek priesthood. And there is no reason for that. The teachers don't have to hold priesthood. There's nothing in DNC 20 or in scripture at all that talks about Sunday school teacher or Sunday school presidents, much less priesthood qualification for Sunday school presidents. Um, so that, that strikes me as something that there it, it's an artificial, unnecessary, um, priesthood requirement. Similarly, ward clerks, um, they, work with the bishopric. They um, do important things like keeping track of membership, keeping track of finances, things that have no priesthood connection and that women are going to be just as capable as men of doing. As I was writing my blog post, I was going to stay, say stake auditor. And then I looked it up and under the current um, handbook of instructions, a stake auditor can be a man or a woman. I believe it still has a temple recommend requirement, but it doesn't have a priesthood requirement. I looked and in the printed 2010 edition, it said men who held the Melchizedek priesthood. So that is a policy change along the lines of what I'm talking about that got shifted. Um, and it got shifted to the best of my knowledge without any grand fanfare, without any claim of revelatory um, experience. It just got shifted presumably because either you didn't have enough men with qualifications to audit, but you had some women too. And by allowing both to do it, 
you had qualified auditors or because someone realized this is just a dumb requirement that, <laughs> that there's no reason that priesthood makes you a better or a worse auditor. Maybe one of the reasons why it changed so easily is because it's not visible. You know what I mean? It's not, no, nobody really knows who are the auditors. I mean, that that's very true. I couldn't tell you who our stake auditor is to save my life. I, um, I, I do think that the visibility of deacons is part of the problem, if you will, and also a, a reason to change it. Right. I, I, it's the visibility factor. I think it's a combination of the visibility. This is something that you see every week, plus um, just tradition. I, I mean, if this started getting instituted in the 1870s and 1880s, I don't know when it really become, became formalized, but I would guess by the 1920s, 1930s. So as long as basically anyone in the church has been alive, this has been a deacon. Um, and it becomes, I, I mean, I'm not going to put myself above this. If tradition if you don't have to think about it, um, if you don't have to just, you, you don't necessarily in your mind have to justify it. It's the way things have always been done. There's no reason to, yeah. I mean, it, it takes active decision-making to change. It just takes passive decision-making to keep it the same. Can you think of um, any other positions that women or girls could fulfill? For example, is there any reason why a woman couldn't be called to be an assistant to the bishop or executive secretary? Did those take priesthood power? Um, I don't think so. Executive secretary, I might be wrong about. I, I'd have to remember, frankly, what exactly it is that an executive secretary does. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, no. I think also there is some concern that. If men and women work together in church, someone's going to have an affair somewhere. I think, honestly, that is a big underlying fear of mixed gender presidencies. I don't think it's a well-founded fear, both because um, I don't think most people are going to. And I don't think that being in a mixed gender um, presidency provides additional opportunity. Most of us work in mixed gender workplaces. You know, my dean is a woman my who is basically my boss my half or so of my colleagues are women um two-thirds of my students are women it, so like in the real world we are we are engaging with people of the opposite gender of other genders like in in everything we do so i i don't think that's a compelling reason but it's one that i've heard thrown around um what do you think about getting rid of the names of the young women classes? I, I think personally that things like that are kind of sad. Um, I, I, I like, I, I've just been speaking against tradition, but I think there's an upside to, to tradition. I think tradition is fun and it's good and it can bind you together where it doesn't unnecessarily exclude people. And I will say in my personal life, in my daughter's experience, it probably is less meaningful because we have, like I said, four young women. So the girls from 18 down to whatever our youngest is are all in the same class. So we, we in Chicago don't have these class divisions. But I mean, there is something cool about saying, hey, I'm a beehive and looking at where the idea of the beehive comes from. Uh, the others, I believe, were Mary, Miss and Laurel. 
I know what a laurel is. I have no idea what a Mary Miss is. <laughs> but it's um, my actually Maya made. Was it Maya made? It was I, Maya made. Yeah, my you're you're right. I I'm proving that I never went through the young women's program. <laughs> I also don't know what a Maya made is, but the middle middle right. class. But I mean, I don't know where the name comes from. But one fun thing is when you're in an organization and it has a name that you're unfamiliar with, you can find out what it is. It can tie you to your mother. If your mother was a member of the church, she has her Maya made experiences. You have your Maya made experiences um, or to the missionary that baptized you or, you know, what, whatever that relationship is. Um, when we make things more generic, honestly, I think to some extent we make them more boring. And also the boys all get new titles and the that girls, is true. The girls get nothing. Um, I don't know. It may not be, as you say, it may not be important in an area where there aren't very many, but symbolically, I, I do think it mattered. It, and I mean, symbolically, even where I am theoretically, even if all of the kids meet together, when the girl turns 13, she stops being a beehive and becomes a uh, Maya maid, even if she's still with the same group of girls. So it gives you that um, growth and progression. Um, so what did you think about Relief Society presidents in the Bay Area being kicked off the stand? I think, honestly, that that was an unforced error. It didn't hurt anybody. Um, there is no harm. Like, when I look up at the stand, there's usually, well, we sit in the very back. So I, I, and my vision is not as good as once upon a time it was, but I am pretty sure that we have the organist, the conductor, we have um, often the speakers, we have the bishopric, we sometimes have other people. Um, if the choir is singing, the choir's up there. I've been in wards where if you showed up a little bit late and the um, congregational seating was full, you'd go up and sit on the stand. Um, they, there's really like, there's no harm in it. I don't honestly know how much value there is in having people sit on the stand. I would be fine if you just had whoever was conducting sitting up there, plus the organist and the, um, the music conductor, because like, unless you want them to run back and forth, which I have done playing the piano before, and that's less fun. Um, but I, I don't see any downside in a family-focused church to letting the bishopric, except for whomever is guiding the meetings, sit with their families. But we don't do that. So there is some prestige and presumably some reason for sitting on the stand. And it doesn't take away from the bishop to also have the Relief Society president up there. No one is going to go to an LDS sacrament meeting and think, wait, who's in charge here? Yeah. So final thoughts, Sam, on uh, young women or women or the sacrament? So I, I mean, I think, and as the father of teenage daughters, I'm focused on the sacrament thing as opposed to the callings. But I think the same arguments and the same policy decisions go with the callings. But just focusing on young women passing the sacrament, um, there is in my mind, no reason not to do it. It isn't a step toward priesthood. I think that this is a question aside from whether women should hold the priesthood, whether you think that they should or you think that they shouldn't. It's explicitly not a priesthood thing. And in fact, women pass the sacrament in every meeting that women attend. We don't require the deacon or the priesthood holder 
to bring the tray individually to each person. So everybody is literally passing the sacrament unless you're sitting in the front row, presumably um, every, every sacrament meeting. So it really isn't that much of a stretch from what we currently do. The religious, I, I mean, the, there's no scriptural reason for it. There's no strong religious reason. Um, it, if it makes boys feel better about themselves, if they're able to do things that girls can't do, then we need to teach our boys better. You know, it, it's special. It's a special thing that you get to do, whether the girls get to do it or the girls don't get to do it. The girls getting to do it doesn't take away from that. Um, in my ward, like I said, we have adult men are most of the people passing the sacrament. It wouldn't take away a single opportunity from a young man in a ward with 50 young men. Yeah, they're going to pass the sacrament less frequently, but they're still going to get to pass it. They already don't get to pass it every week unless like nobody shows up on time and you're the one who shows up on time. So I, I don't see any harm to it. It's a really easy change to make. It's a change that is fully compliant with our current doctrine, our current notion of priesthood, our current scripture. It's a change in tradition, but we've shown over the last few years that sometimes we're willing and able to change tradition. We've changed um, stake auditors, like you said, not a super visible thing, but nonetheless, we've now allow women, girls, and even children to witness baptisms. We, we've expanded things, and that is not as visible as passing the sacrament, but that's visible at every baptism. Um, it, and I don't see any compelling reason why we shouldn't allow girls the opportunity to serve all of the ward members on a regular basis in a capacity that boys have been doing for the last 120 years or so. <laughs> Our thanks to Sam Brunson. Thanks for being here today, Sam. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind you, our listeners, that you can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormon Land newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com, sign up, and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Land. Mm-hmm.